right now. Aren't you thankful that he never fails? Hallelujah. One of the mistakes that we make as humans is we judge the absence of activity and equate it as the absence of God. We think because we don't see something happening that God has vacated the premises. But that's not true. How can God leave if he's everywhere all the time? He's an omnipresent God. That writer said, I go to the heavens, he's there. I go to the belly of hell, he's there. Friend, it doesn't matter where you find yourself, you can take comfort today in the fact that God is right there with you. He's the God of the valley. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated today. Amen. We've got a great group of people, somewhere around 64 people, 63 people, that are headed to uh, NAYC this week, and we believe that God's going to do something great in their life. Thank you for being here the house of the Lord this Sunday school time. We're going to continue our walk through the book of Acts. We have been dissecting this, uh, this book, the Acts of the Apostles, or the Actions of the Apostles, and we have taken it just a few verses at a time. And it's always better when you study Scripture in context. I have heard great messages that were great thoughts, but they took some creative liberty with scripture to make it fit their thought. And I'm not saying lives weren't changed or lives weren't touched, but there's a, there's a benefit when you look at scripture in context. There's a lot that uh, is beyond our comprehension because it was a whole different culture and a whole different day. And so uh, I have learned some things along the way just as we begin to flesh this thing out. But we're going to begin with Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. If Brother Jason Black, he's going to help me this afternoon. Uh, if you can begin reading. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So here we find Paul introducing Timotheus, otherwise known as Timothy. We have two uh, books of the Bible that Paul wrote to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. And he, the Bible says in this particular text that he was well reported of among the local believers. We could say that Timothy was a third generation apostolic. 
Because Paul says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Timothy has proved his ministry locally before he begins to travel with Paul, and he's sent out by his local church. And so we find part of their assignment on this journey is to deliver the decrees from the elders in Jerusalem to all the churches. I want you to remember that those decrees state that the Gentiles should not have to become Jews and be circumcised before they can become Christians. If you've been keeping track kind of this as it's unfolded, as we've taught on it, the big uproar was that the Jews that had been serving the Lord, now Acts chapter 10, the door was open to the Gentiles, that's us, and the Jews were saying that they need to become like us before they can become like him. Y'all remember me talking about this. The Jews felt like that, that uh, they needed to adhere to everything that the Jews adhered to to become, to be accepted by Christ. And I've talked about the danger that we could fall into that same mindset. No, we're not necessarily talking about dietary laws and we're not talking about circumcision of the flesh. But if we're not careful, we'll start thinking that people need to become like us before they can be accepted by Christ. I'll just tell you this. Hate to burst your bubble. But there's going to be some people when the trumpet sounds that have not even had time to go through any type of discipleship class. They hadn't had time to become polished. They hadn't had time to go through a new convert class. They are those 11th hour Christians. The ones that came in at the very nick of time. And they may not even look like us. But when that trumpet sounds, they're going to get the same reward. So we cannot cast judgment on people. That's what the, the trap the Jews fell into. Paul had steadfastly, if you remember, refused to have Titus circumcised. And remember that Paul said that circumcision of the flesh was not of any spiritual benefit. All right? So now, why does he have Timothy circumcised? It would appear that he is contradicting himself and that he is inconsistent. But we got to look at this just a little deeper. Galatians 2, 3 says, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek. This is Paul writing. He says, Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Neither Titus was compelled to be circumcised. But in verse 15 of Galatians 6, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So is he contradicting himself by having Timothy circumcised? Absolutely not. Here's why. T 
Titus was a pure Greek. But Timothy was half Jewish. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. And so the Judaizers were trying to pressure Titus to become Jewish. But Timothy was already practicing, was already a practicing Jew. Y'all still with me? So Timothy's circumcision was not motivated from inside the church, by pressure inside the church, but rather it was a missionary strategy outside of the church. Timothy was circumcised only so he would not offend the Jews that he was trying to reach. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks in verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. We break this down for you. Paul said, I became all things to all men. All right? If you want to establish a relationship with someone, you have to find common ground. All right? If you want to, I'm just making something up here. You wouldn't go to a lawyer, talked about this the other night, and talk about farming. No common ground. You wouldn't go to a doctor and talk about mechanicing. No common ground. But if you want to establish a relationship, you talk to a doctor about medical things. Farmer about farming things. And what Paul basically is saying is I, I tried to find common ground. He said to them, they were without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. He said to the weak, I became, as, uh, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. In this century that we live in, Many people are offended by any little thing that is asked of them. That would please the Lord or remove a stumbling block for someone else. But not so in this book of Acts church. I remember listening to a preacher who had a Rolex. He was given a Rolex. There's nothing wrong with a Rolex. But he wore that Rolex. And one day he was teaching a Bible study. To a family. And he was flipping that chart. And he said while he's flipping that chart. He saw that Rolex on his hand. And he said here's a family that can barely afford any groceries. Can barely pay their bills. And here he is flipping a Bible study chart wearing a Rolex. And he said the Lord convicted him. And he said I took that Rolex off. Now there was there anything wrong with the Rolex? No, 
But he said, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to offend this family. Should I, I leave and they say, here we are and don't have food in our house. And this preacher's wearing a Rolex. And I'm not knocking preachers that wear Rolexes. You got to get the point of what I'm saying. This preacher said, I, I don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody. I don't want to hinder somebody's progress in making it to heaven. And we got to be of that same mindset. I don't want to stand before God and, be, and it be said of me that something I did or something I said hindered somebody from making it to heaven. You know, it's not always about us. There's some things we do so we don't hinder somebody's progress in living for the Lord. Walking with the Lord. We got to have that mindset, God, I don't want to offend anybody. I want anything I do or say to be a stumbling block somebody not make it to heaven. Amen. Verse number six, Brother Black, if you'll read. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mycenae came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Just in this text, I want you to notice the language that is used here. We find the following phrases. Forbidden of the Holy Ghost... The Spirit suffered them not. These two phrases indicate they are waiting on God for direction. They're, they're, they're not just picking a spot on a map. They're just feeling after the Holy Ghost. Feeling after what direction that God would have them go. Could you imagine how history might have changed if Paul had continued ministering in Asia only and, 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 and not followed the leading of the Spirit. I know gentlemen, and I'm not speaking derogatory of their leadership style, but I know pastors that are calendar-oriented pastors. That means they, they'll lay out a schedule for a year. They'll pick a, put a speaker on this day and put a speaker on this day and, and, and that's just how they choose to lead their congregation. And when I was evangelizing, I tried to be calendar oriented and it took me two months to figure out that I can't be calendar oriented. But you gotta be led of the spirit. And, 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 and I, if you look at our calendar, I don't have hardly anything scheduled when it comes to preachers. Because I can't tell you where we're going to be in six months as a church. I can't tell you what, what the health of our congregation is going to be this time next year. But rather, I'd rather follow that leading of the Spirit. I'd rather feel after the wind of the Spirit. I want to be a part of a church that's not program oriented, that's not rigid, but is willing to move with the Spirit. So here, the Holy Ghost begins to Pull the reins. 
Holy Ghost begins to direct, tells them to go and to do. We continue reading with verse number 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Notice that the believers in the book of Acts are always baptized. You're not going to find instances in this book where someone was a believer that was not baptized. And there is, in this day and age, there is a, a strong consensus that you just have to be a believer. Everybody's a believer. You know what? That's not a false statement. Everybody's a believer in something. Even if they're believing in the absence of God, they're still believing. So it's not a false statement when someone says, I'm a believer. But I want to know, are they a believer as the scripture hath said? Because Jesus said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. Whole nother dimension. That moves it from I'm a believer to I'm a believer as Jesus said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, because the Father had not yet been glorified. He was speaking prophetically of what was going to happen after the resurrection, after the glorification of Jesus Christ as he ascended up into the heavens. But then we find the evidence of being a believer scattered all throughout this book. Because when someone said, uh, when it says that they were a believer, you're going to find two things. You're going to find that they were buried in baptism in Jesus' name and that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. Friend, if there's a message that we've got to preach, we got to preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and we got to preach baptism in Jesus' name by immersion. Amen. So if they're a believer, they got to be baptized by water and spirit. Continue verse number 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gaining by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. 
and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. No sooner does God begin to move, and here we find Satan trying to hinder the work of the Lord. And you, you, We just read it. This wasn't a one-time thing. The Bible says that this did she many days. And here Paul was trying to focus on the gospel. Paul was trying to preach the unadulterated word of God and reach souls. And here the enemy used a demonized girl who had made her masters wealthy by telling people's fortunes. And she repeatedly shouted after them, these men are the servants of the Most High God who show us the way of salvation. She was not wrong in what she said. But Paul did not want his message promoted by one of Satan's slaves. So he cast out the demon. Because Satan may speak the truth one minute and lie in the next and the unsaved would not know the difference. And her masters didn't care about her, only the money that they would lose. And so the enemy began to rise up. And as this gospel was being preached, they accosted Paul and Silas, had them whipped and cast into prison. But can I tell you that it didn't slow the gospel down, but it, it, it furthered the work of the gospel. I can't tell you how many times I have been to churches that were just, God was really starting to move and people started going crazy. Now listen, the enemy has to have a place to work. And how does he work? He works through people. That doesn't mean someone is possessed. In this particular instance, it means it, this person was possessed. But it doesn't mean every time a person is possessed. But I've been in revivals. And I've been in services. When God was moving in the midst of those people. And I preached my guts out and get right to the altar call. And three or four babies start going crazy. You know what that is? That's the enemy trying to distract what God is trying to do in a service. Those babies weren't possessed, but the enemy knows how to move and how to influence and how to distract. That's why it's imperative, especially as we get close to an altar call, that we don't start going in and out and we, we, don't, we don't make a distraction or make a scene because the enemy knows how to capitalize on a distraction. Amen. Verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in, and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What a portrait. What a portrait of salvation. It said at the midnight hour, the darkest, blackest time of the night, if you look at it in Scripture, it holds great significance. Exodus 11 and 4, and Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Once again, the Lord said in Matthew 25 and 6, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. It was at that darkest time of the night. It was at that place where the light was at the, at the, 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 the least visible that they sang and praised. They gave praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I want you to know today, don't think that people are not watching you. Don't think that people are not observing your walk with God and knowing what you walk through. And when they see that you have the ability to give praise to God at the darkest hour, the Bible says that the prison doors were open. It wasn't just them, but everybody's bands were loosed. It wasn't just them, but everybody's prison doors were open. You better believe me when I tell you that God has a way of impacting people in your life. When they see that you can sing at the darkest time, Job said that he giveth songs in the night. I don't know where you find yourself right now. I don't know how bleak it is or how dark it is, but you better hear this preacher. It's always the darkest just before it starts getting better. It always looks the worst just before God turns the page. There was an earthquake and there was a shaking but followed that there was a miracle after their midnight and if you're at your midnight you can take courage tonight. There's a miracle on the other side of your midnight. There's a miracle that's waiting on the other side and somebody's life is going to be changed. Hallelujah. He comes out on the other side and here there's a jailer. Now listen, they were beaten, they were ridiculed, they were put in bonds, they were locked up in prison.
listen, to my knowledge, that hadn't happened to anybody in here. But one household was saved. That jailer was so impacted when that prison door was open and he realized that they served a God that he didn't serve. And he brought them to the house and he cleaned them up and they were able to minister the gospel unto them. If for no other reason God put them in that prison to save one man and his family, it was worth everything that they went through. And if one person is saved by watching you go through your trial, if one person is saved by saying, hey, I watched them walk through it and their God brought them out, then friend, it was worth everything that you had to go through to be able to say, God, they were saved. You can't judge everything by what you see on the outside. I can tell you a man right now who he would go and knock on my mother's door when she was a kid. And he'd invite her to church. He'd make sure she was coming to church. He'd pick her up on that bus. And now this man is probably in his 70s. He's got dementia. But before the dementia really kicked in, he would just get hundreds of preaching CDs from his church. And he'd just pray on who to hand one to. Thousands upon thousands of CDs that he handed. And he told me with tears in his eyes. He said, people wonder why I do this. He said, but if one person, one, makes it to heaven, it was worth every CD I handed out. It was worth every person that he went. My friend, you can't measure a soul. You can't put a price tag on a soul. And if God brought you through a trial and it ministered to someone, who cares how bad it hurt if someone made it to heaven? Verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Notice that Paul refuses to sneak out of town because that would have placed a cloud of suspicion over his ministry. But he pulled the Roman citizenship card not to avoid persecution for himself, 
but to bring protection to the church. Everything that Paul did was motivated about the message. Everything he did. Listen, Paul was an educated man. He, 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 was not naive. He was not a, a novice. He was an educated man. But he, he everything he did was to pro- propel the gospel and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to other people. I want you to know today, if we are motivated by anything other than the gospel, then we have the wrong motivation. Everything we do has to be for the gospel's sake. Bible says if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Everybody in this room, you could attest to the fact that God saved you, that there were times God healed you, that there were times God delivered you, and God turned your life around. So, so we know the power of the gospel. But there's a world out there that doesn't know the power of the gospel. And so everything we do has to be motivated by reaching people. I believe a healthy church is balanced between in-reach and outreach. If we become a church that focuses on just appeasing who we've got, then we're not motivated by the gospel. We're nothing more than a social club. But a church has to be driven to reach souls with the gospel's sake. You say, Pastor, I don't know what I can do. You can do something. You can pray. You can pray for souls. I remember a man just talked to here a while back. He was probably in his mid-twenties. And one day, a man came, knocked on his door, and began to talk to him about the Lord. And I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version because it was a long story. He got convicted, but he didn't go to church, to that church. He went to a church. Years later, he moved to another part of Houston. Houston's a big town. It's not like moved from right over here from Jonesville to Harrisonburg. Years later, he moved to a whole nother section of town. And guess who knocked on his door? Same man. That man would work nights and then he'd maybe sleep a little bit and then he'd go start praying that God would just lead him to somebody. And he'd drive a little while and he'd get out and start knocking on a few doors. He'd drive, And here he was, started knocking on the same door And it it shocked this man. And so he told him. He said, well, I've been, I've been, may go to this church over here. That man turned and walked away. And he turned back and he said, sir, just remember who came and knocked on your door. And so that man said that come church time that next Sunday, he said he drove back and forth between churches. He was invited by somebody else. Back and forth, and he kept remembering those words. Just remember who come and knocked on your door. Just remember who come and knocked on your door. And he said, he parked in the parking lot finally, and he walked in. 
And he said, the usher said, are you Mr. So-and-so? And he had never been to this church at all. And he said, yes, sir, I am. He said, brother, so-and-so said you'd be coming. The man that knocked on his door. He said, he got you a seat saved next to him on the front row. He had faith that God was going to honor he said, I didn't make it to the front row. I hit my knees and God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That man is in his 80s and he's still serving God and his sons are preachers of the gospel and his grandsons are preachers of the gospel because there was a man that was motivated to further the gospel. Stand with me right now. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. There's people out there, Wallace Ridge, that are hurting. They're broken. Their lives are in shambles. They don't, they're not, not, not going to be receptive to all types of doctrine and theology. All they want to know is, is there a God that'll love me? Is there a God that'll heal me? Is there a God that'll put my family back together? I'm telling you, I see people coming in this church that don't look like us. They're broken. Their homes are broken. I'm talking about people from all walks of life. And when they come in this place, they just need to encounter Jesus. And they need a church that's going to support them and say, I'm behind you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you make it to heaven. Amen. Let's lift our hands all over this place, Father.